Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Welcome back to Inside Out, episode number 61. I am so excited to share this one with you. Today's guest is Jessie Williams. Jessie is a health and mindset coach, healing food relationships, creating confident bodies and building magical mindsets. Jessie looks at things holistically. She connects the dots you didn't know were there, reveals your patterns and guides you to heal what's below the surface so that you can step powerfully into the fullest version of you. In today's episode, we unpack Jessie's experience healing her relationship with body image, reprogramming the subconscious mind, energetic healing, discovering your limiting beliefs, breaking conditioning and behavioral patterns, mindfulness modalities that she uses in both her coaching programs and her personal growth, how diet culture is evolving and ways we can embody empowerment. And of course, there's so much more in this episode, so many golden nuggets and takeaways for you today. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful if you can share to your Instagram stories or on Facebook or just send to a girlfriend that you feel like this would really resonate with. This really supports me to support more women on their wellness journey. Don't forget to hit subscribe on the Apple podcast app or on Spotify so that you get a notification when my next episode is live. I've got so many incredible guests coming up soon. I can't wait to share these next episodes with you. Let's dive in to today's beautiful conversation with the beautiful Jessie Williams. Jessie, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am really wrapped to connect with you in person and have you on here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. That's so good to hear. So just before we dive into uh, your work and, and what you do, I would love to give listeners a little bit more on you. So can you share a little bit, bit about you, where you're from and all the deets? Yeah, sure. So I am a online health and mindset coach based in Melbourne, but um, work with women all over Australia. Um, A little bit about what I do, I guess I did start very much centered in the health space. Um, I started out as a personal trainer and then I kind of branched out online, started getting really passionate about diving more into the area of food and body relationships. So While yes, a lot of the work I do can be helping people achieve their body composition goals and stuff, whether it's weight loss, the biggest part of what I do is ensuring that people maintain a healthy relationship with food or heal their relationship with food and improve their relationship with their body in that process. With the mindset kind of space, I guess over time, the biggest piece I was finding with health was if your mindset's not right, then you can have the best program in the world, you can have the best coach in the world, but it's pointless if you can't stick to it um, because there's usually kind of underlying limiting beliefs or blocks that are the whole, that are holding you back. So I guess I got a little bit more into the mindset space, furthered my education um, and qualifications in that area. 
And over the years, I've just continually evolved. And I guess as I've evolved as a person, the work I do with my clients has evolved as well. So much of what I do now is more to do with helping people unlock and uncover limiting beliefs that they have, removing those beliefs from their subconscious mind, as well as consciously creating new behavior change and patterns, and really like ultimately just helping women unlock. And I like to use the word remember the potential that they already have within them, because I think we all have it. We just somewhere along the line, lose way and and forget that it was there. So really helping empower women to create change in their life, whether it's career relationships, health, everything holistically. Mm, I love all of that. It resonates so much with me and my personal journey in diet culture um, and breaking the stigma surrounding that and breaking old patterns and, and I guess processes that I have been conditioned over the many, many years that I have been training and um, eating particular diets and having different programs and things. It's all been conditioned to feel a certain way about myself. And if, you know, and that's that old thought process of if I'm not doing it all, I'm not doing it right. Or if I'm not eating consistently like fish and broccoli every day, five days, seven days a week, then you're doing it wrong. You're not going to get where you need to be. And that's where binge eating and things happen, I guess. So I really resonate with what you said there. Was there a particular experience or something that put you on that trajectory of changing your, I guess, career path that you went through? Yeah. So I guess I went through a really, really shitty time with body image and stuff like that growing up. Um, By around age 16, I was actually probably considered overweight for my age. And that was just coming down to (laughs) being 16 and going to parties and drinking alcohol and stuff, which obviously is not good for your body. Um, I just got a little bit into that like party scene. And then um, just like I had an older brother with a license and would eat take, we would get leave school and go get takeaway and all bits and pieces like that. So I did put on quite a bit of weight. And then I set out to lose that weight to become healthier and kind of what, began happening was from the age of 16 to 18, I lost all that weight and I was in a really healthy body. But when I looked in the mirror at 18, I still saw the girl who was 16 and overweight. And I, I genuinely hand over heart mean that like I would look in the mirror and I couldn't see what I was and I had no idea. And so I kept trying to push and push and push and lose more and lose more. And if I just lose that, I'll be happy. And as I kept losing, nothing ever really felt enough for me. And then kind of what happened was because I could, there was the goal I was trying to achieve was impossible. um, Eventually, I just guess that I snapped in the sense that I was like, I'm doing all this hard work and nothing's paying off, which I was getting, you know, the results, but I couldn't see it. Um, And then I started binge eating. So it's like, because I deprived and restricted myself for so long, if I had one little thing, I would be binging to the point that I would feel physically sick, um, like borderline couldn't even move. And that eventually branched out into full-blown binge eating disorder um, and body dysmorphia as well. So obviously not seeing the body that I was in and I wasn't starving and I wasn't purging, but I was heavily restricting and then binging and overeating um, and had a really um, distorted view of my body. And over the years, I slowly, I mean, it probably didn't even, I didn't even realize until I was about 22, I went through two years of absolute hell living like that, thinking it was normal. And at the same time, I was actually um, studying a bachelor 
um, degree majoring in public relations, like media and communications. So um, I got a little bit better and I actually fully qualified, got into the PR um, industry, was working a really good job. And I was just gaining, I started gaining even more weight, just sitting at an office. And like, as soon as no one was around, like I would binge and stuff because I was stressed and stress was a trigger for me. So things were just like escalating. And then I actually had a dream um, or in the process of that, sorry, I should say that I eventually did come to realize what was going on. And I sought, um, help from a psychologist and stuff, improved all of that. And then I had a dream that I was a personal trainer, which is just wild. And I woke up in the morning and I shit you not, it was like every single cell in my body was like, that wasn't a dream. That was a message. And I was living with my mom at the time. And I remember coming out and being like, mom, I've got to quit my job. And she was like, oh, you just finished a three-year degree. You've only been working for 12 months. And I was like, I'm supposed to be a personal trainer. Like, I just know. Um, And I chatted to my boyfriend about it. And he supported me um, financially investing to restudy. And I just quit my job, got a job in a juice bar, smashed out my PT certificate. Um, And then I guess, yeah, started in the personal training industry. And over time, as I healed my relationship with food and my body more and more, I began realizing that it wasn't just me. Um, It was really common and that actually a lot of women have had similar experiences to what I had. And so, yeah, I became really passionate about helping women not have to go through what I went through. Yeah, look, your story hits home so closely for me because 16 was when I was at the heaviest I've ever been and I was at the unhealthiest I think I've ever been. Um, I was too young to be, you know, doing the partying scene that I was doing by 18, but that's sort of where it started, the binge eating, the poor habits, the the inner self-talk, the mean critic. I actually got hypnotized when I was 16 because my mum took me because I would do this thing where I would have to make a fat joke about myself to you. Like say if we just met, I just had to get it out there so you knew that I knew I was fat and you couldn't think bad about me because I already knew. So it was a habit that started really early, probably about 15. It probably started as I gained more weight, it got worse. But my family couldn't speak to me without me making a joke to rip myself off. And my mum was just like done, like done with it completely. And, you know, I'd seen psychologists and things and I was on antidepressants. And realistically looking back, it's like, well, how much sleep was I getting? How much water was I drinking? How, you know, healthy was I eating? And was I doing any exercise? Not really. We probably should have started with the foundations there. But, you know, you know, we didn't. And she ended up taking me to a hypnotist because she just could not deal with me anymore. And whilst that's like retracted the fat jokes, it definitely didn't solve the binge eating and it didn't no. solve the problem or body image issues. So that then went to evolve over the next couple of years and then add in alcohol and partying. And then I started smoking and then I found fitness and I thought, oh, this is great. I can go to the gym. And I lost a little bit of weight and everybody was telling me how much weight I was losing. And I felt so validated and I felt so mm-hmm. good because the leaner I got and the smaller I got, the better people liked me and the more I was pleasing people because that was like a constant validation thing for me. But I was still doing the partying. I was still doing the smoking. So I was actually a really unhealthy young person, but I was just going to the gym two to three hours a day and not eating and then binge eating come 
Thursday, Friday, I'm going home for a pizza and a litre of ice cream because I'm starving. I haven't eaten all week. And, you know, I thought that was healthy. And then by Saturday, I'm taking laxatives so I can go out on Saturday night and not feel bloated. Like it was just this cycle of abuse. So I really, really resonate with what you said about yourself. And I think that our stories might be a little bit similar. Yeah. And I can even actually resonate with the hypnotherapy stuff because um, I actually saw a hip um, no therapist when I was about 18 um, and wasn't yet aware that I had binge eating disorder and body dysmorphia and I saw one to help me lose weight um, and the thing with you can get some really fantastic hypnotherapists I've got a coach um, who is a friend of mine in the industry and she does hypnosis with her clients it's part of what I do um, and it can be excellent but a lot of them, they just use generalized scripts. And so what they're kind of getting you to do is they're getting you to stop or start a behavior. But if it's not individualized, they're just like going in and they're um, kind of implanting that you should stop or start doing this, but they're not actually going in and finding what's the root cause of why you're doing that and getting you to like to like ripping out the root limiting belief so it can work for short term you're like yeah stop doing that but eventually those old patterns and systems mm. are going to start coming back up and so it's it's a really um in my mind a very short-sighted solution and sometimes doesn't even work at all unless it's done properly yeah i love that women like yourself are coming up in this personal trainer space in you know it ha- this fitness industry has a lot of diet culture and things like that to break mm-hmm. down now in today's society and it's prevalent that there's a lot more women who are preparing to find find themselves more and heal their wounds and grow and evolve so working with people like yourself would be such a beautiful connection I'm sure um but what I'd love to know is you you really support women in, in your clientele break down their limiting beliefs. How mm-hmm. do you do this? Where do you start? And is I guess, is that the common theme that people are having an issue with? Absolutely, yeah. The common like underlying factor is always a sense of like some level of core limiting beliefs. So what tends to happen is from the age of zero to seven, we're actually basically as children, we're like walking sponges and if you look at as an adult, you have a conscious and a subconscious mind. And when you're in a conscious waking state, like if you're listening to this podcast now, you're in a conscious state, you can't just dive into your subconscious. That's why it's subconscious, right? It's below the surface. You can't really access it. Um, but when you're zero to seven, you're basically a hundred percent subconscious mind. You're like pulling in, learning things, dangerous, safe. Yes. No, that's me. That's not me. I can do this. I can't do that. Um, this is safe. You know, you're making meaning of the world around you and how you fit into that world Mm -hmm. and things that can happen to you. If you think about a zero to seven year old, like anywhere in between there, let's say like a four-year-old, what feels big to them As an adult, it's not really a big deal, but it's the biggest thing in their absolute world. So for example, a really common one when I go into, you know, subconscious belief systems with clients is they might have a memory of being five in prep and they're playing on the playground at school and a kid comes up and they're like, we don't want you to play. Like you're not playing, you're you're being left out. We don't want you to play with us today. And in that moment, that child decided I'm not good enough or I'm not wanted. And they form that belief system and that gets snapshotted and ingrained. Now, 
so many things happen. That's just something as simple as a kid saying that they don't want you to play. Now imagine the bigger things that can happen in life. A parent who's working all the time, right? Kids think in absolutes. They don't think, oh, mommy has a job and she's working or daddy has a job and he's working and he's earning money to put food on the table because he loves me. He thinks dad's not here. Daddy doesn't love me. That's how children think it's all absolute. So it's not to say that your parents mess you up or they do anything wrong. It's just to say that we can't help because we're so irrational as children, we can't help but form these beliefs. But those beliefs become the patterns and the systems that we run in our adulthood. So as an adult, when you get triggered by something or you do or don't want to do something or you don't believe in yourself, it's not you learned that you learned that somewhere and it's usually coming down to one of your, um, you know, limiting beliefs that you have that are in your subconscious mind, in your system. So what I do with a lot of clients is I work out what's the surface level problem because everyone will come to me with, this is the problem I want to fix, but the problem's never the problem. So for example, I want to stop binge eating. Binge eating is not the problem what's causing you to binge eat is the problem. So we have a look at all of the surface level problems and then we begin exploring common patterns and trends that happen throughout their life in different areas. And then usually what we do is we go into childhood, we talk about their relationship with their parents, their relationship with siblings if they had them, um, what their school experience was like, were they bullied? And we just go through all of the areas. And for some people, that's really big traumas and for some people it's just really little stuff um but even the little stuff can form limiting beliefs as well and then what we usually do is we do um modalities um whether it's like related to the body or energy work or subconscious work like a hypnosis style technique to go into the subconscious mind so we can rip those beliefs out from the core so it's very much about doing stuff on both a conscious level, whether that's brain rewiring through affirmations and repeating the new belief system, or whether it's like going into the subconscious and like ripping it out from the root. So the way you can look at it is like, um, you know, the conscious stuff, like doing your daily affirmations and all of that is like mowing the lawns and then going in like hypnosis, theta healing and deeper modalities are like going in and like weeding and ripping the weed out from the root. So what does that look like, those, those other healing modalities? How do, going deeper, do you do that one-on-one or do you do that over Zoom? Like how do you actually perform these for your clients and get those results? Yeah, so um, everything's usually done via Zoom um, because I work online. I do need to be able to see their face, their body, um, because I need to know that they're in a theta state. So what happens is I'm putting them in a particular brainwave and the brainwave I put them in is a, is means that they can access their conscious and their subconscious mind at the same time. So the way you look at it is every human is always, their brain is always emitting a frequency right now. You and I, anyone listening will be in a beta brainwave. Um, and you've got low mid and high beta as well, which is just very, very active and stuff like that. If you were to do say like a 20 minute meditation, you were quite deeply relaxed. You'd drop into an alpha. If you were asleep, you would drop all the way into Delta. So when you're in like a beta or an alpha, you're still in a conscious state. You can't access your subconscious mind. So it's kind of like you can't know what you don't know. You don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. If you're Delta, which means you're asleep, you're in your purely you're in your subconscious mind, but you've got no conscious awareness. So you can't talk to me. You can't communicate. We can't actually get to the bottom of anything. There's a beautiful brainwave called a theta. Some people pronounce it theta, um, which is this middle bridging brainwave where you're in 
the subconscious and the conscious at the same time. So there are things that can promote you into that, which is deep relaxation, sound frequencies and things like that. It's the brainwave you'd be put in if um, you had a hypnosis session. So I do it through sound, so music. So I usually have, um, I've got a particular Spotify playlist um, that I use sound frequency that encourages a client into a theta state. Um, And then I just go through a few processes, getting them deeply relaxed. I can tell when they're in a theta state because their eyelids flicker, like when you're in REM sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting them into that subconscious state. And then we, I go through a series of asking different questions. um, And then basically I I ask, how does that make you feel? And how did that make you feel? And how did that make you feel until we get to the bottom? So it's like, they might say something like um, the kid who didn't want me to play with them. And I said, how did that make you feel sad? Why did it make you feel sad? Because I felt like they didn't want me to play with them. Okay. How did it make you feel that those kids didn't want you to play with them? Lonely. Okay. What does it like? What's it feel like to feel lonely? Empty. And so they'll have a limiting belief of I am empty and I am empty is a really common belief of people who binge eat because they never feel full, right? Energetically. So these beliefs can relate directly to what we do and the the negative habits that we have in our life, which are always like trying to protect us. Um, so coming back to the modality, it would be a session like that. We then, I'd go put them through a process of like getting the beliefs out. So we release the beliefs. Um, there's different modalities as well. If something quite traumatic comes up with a particular person, um, we can do a cord cutting process, which is where we like, um, cut the energetic tie to that person. Um, we can also do things like healing conversations. Like, so if you're in a situation where you never spoke up and used your voice and from that you have limiting beliefs, we would make them rehab that conversation. So they would actually say, leave me alone. Don't hurt me. You're making me feel like this. And they can actually stand up for themselves. When they come out of that session, they know that conversation didn't happen. It doesn't distort their memory. They know that conversation never happened, but they feel like it did. So it means that they feel more empowered and they feel like I stood up for myself, even though it's like this huge disconnect between the brain, what they remember and what they feel. So it's ultimately just changing the way they feel around a situation that happened. Other modalities that I use um, is things like a submodality visualization, which is where we take something that they feel or they believe and we get them in a relaxed state and we get them to like say it out loud and then they find where they feel it in the body they give it a color a shape we change the color change the shape and release it from the body um so lots of kind of like unusual energy kind of stuff but it's all just getting what's trapped in the body energetically emotionally um and just shifting it out so that they can feel a sense of relief if that makes sense yeah i totally um understand it i've been seeing a kinesiologist for a little while now and one of the things that she and i have done is the cord cutting um i had someone in my life who i do have to keep in my life unfortunately but um they almost were taking too much airtime up they're quite a toxic negative person and almost Mm -hmm. much airtime up in my head and and my mindset which was then impacting just my day-to-day abilities to to i have like almost monkey mind with my decision making skills and i can never finish one task and it would always 
always revert back to this person just popping up and me being totally distracted by whatever I was doing because I was so consumed by that that negative energy in my brain. And so something that we work on every single time I go and see her, we then just re, we haven't done it the last two sessions, but prior to that, we'd done it a couple of times where we would just cut that energetic cord that was essentially linked between us both because once that's being cut you do feel that sense of empowerment and just full-blown release like it was very very therapeutic Mm. and when you do that you're it's not just like oh I'm imagining that I'm cutting a cord it's you are physically like if we come down to quantum physics and science and we were to look at like energy under a microscope and what's happening is you can have something called quantum entanglement, which basically means that your energy has um, entangled with someone else's. Now they did, um, you know, studies with energy and what they did is they had like two atoms that were entangled and they sent them on like polar opposite sides of, of the earth, sent them off. And when something happened to one energy, say one span, the other one span, even though they're like completely separate. So we, if we quantum entangle with people, you're naturally going to be quantum entangled with both of your parents. You're probably quantum entangled with um, your siblings. You're very likely quantum entangled with anyone you've slept with um, and just people that you spend a lot of time with. If stuff is happening to them and if they're frequently down, you can see how that's impacting your energy. So through the cord cutting process, you're literally sending that person's energy back to them so that you've now got, you're like detaching that quantum entanglement. So you're like, you are your own being, you are your own person, you're setting the standard of your own energy. So sometimes with the cord cutting, a lot of the time it's really beneficial to cut toxic people or people who have caused trauma or inflicted pain, but you can even cord cut people who you want in your life, who you love a lot, who are actually good people, but they keep bringing up a lot of patterns. So for example, very vulnerable share. I've had to cord cut from my dad. My, I love my dad and my dad loves me. And I have had an incredible childhood with my dad, but due to my dad's love language, um, the way I grew up was feeling like I was never good enough for my dad and things like that, even though I was, but the way he did or didn't show love cause these beliefs. So as an adult, I had this constant desire to like, please dad, or to like make him proud of me or to not want to disappoint him. And that like constant clutch at always wanting to do right by my dad meant that I was holding myself back from making decisions that were aligned for me because what would dad think would be in the back of my mind. So by cord cutting, it actually really improved our relationship because it let go of all of this resentment that I was creating myself for what the reaction I was never going to get from him. Um, So you can cord cut with people just as a sense of release so that you can come back to being your own person, to not needing approval from someone, for not feeling afraid of someone. Um, Yeah. And like for not um, also that energy leaking that you spoke about so that you're not leaking energy out. It's all just about preserving your own energy at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Everything you're saying, I feel like I've got my own version and it's so similar because I resonate again with what you said about your dad. I love my dad and we have a completely disconnected relationship now, which is really hard to, I, I think, say out loud because, you know, I guess people mistake my stepdad for my for my real father and I just let that slide. Like I don't say anything and he doesn't rebut it. And, he, you know, I, I wasn't raised by him, but, you know, it just is, isn't a conversation I open up about a lot. But I had to change the narrative of what family meant to me because I was living a life like so far out of alignment, dreading 
having any contact with this man that I loved and I, I'll always love, but we didn't, I don't like him and, and our personalities just don't align and we don't have anything in common. And there's a lot of resentment there from when I was a child and his love language was completely opposite to my own. And I felt a constant state of not good enough, unworthy, unlovable, empty, lonely, and but also going through the motions of daddy issues where you are making decisions and choices as a young teenager, craving validation from your father because, you know, a, a, a man is, sorry, a father is a girl's first love, they say. So we can't help but crave that validation from them and, and internalize that. So yeah, I definitely resonate with what you said there. And I've been through, I guess, a similar journey, not the same, but similar. Mm, it's crazy. And I think so many people just speaking on that family piece, how so many people can keep themselves in really painful or stagnant situations because of family and that whole narrative that like, you know, families forever, you know, what's the saying? Um, blood's thicker than water, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, say that to someone who has a parent who abuses them. Like, for them, what do you, what, what narrative are you instilling in someone like that, that, um, you know, and that's why so many people have dis- distorted views of love, you know, in our current day and age. Um, you know, I've got a beautiful friend of mine who openly speaks about um, her experiences and stuff. And, you know, she had her father like growing up who abused her and things like that. And her narrative of love was like, if someone's not hurting you, they don't love you. And she consciously knows that's not true. And she's had to do so much subconscious work around rebuilding that. So I think allowing people the safety that you don't have to always put family first. And then the other piece to that is you can have a really, you can love your family and still need space from them as well. Yes, absolutely agree. And that just on that statement, blood being thicker than water, I really find that triggering sometimes because I am a stepmom and I've got two beautiful girls. And I mean, these girls and I have been, I've been in their life now for four years, but we are so close that I walked them to school the other day and the questions that they asked me sometimes just baffle me. But one of them was like, why did you have to have your own babies? Were we not good enough for you to love? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, of course you were. But, you know, my, I wanted to deliver and birth my own children. And of course you're good enough. And I love you all the same. And all those things, like we had that conversation, but it's just interesting, you know, I, that, that statement, that blood is thicker than water. I don't believe that. And I hate that people say that sometimes because there are so many blended families are so common now. And I don't want my stepdaughters to hear that and feel really triggered like I do. I think it's really sad. And if I can just reflect back to you as well, that what I saw in that was an opportunity for a potential belief to be um, formed of I'm not good enough from, you know, your stepdaughters because you've birthed other babies. And this is the exact example that I gave that you can be an amazing parent. You can do all the right things and still give a child limiting beliefs, but you can reduce, <laughs> reduce the damage in the sense that I can see that it's obviously you've facilitated a really incredibly safe space with those girls that they can ask you, why did you do this? Is it because this? Mm. Right? And they were able to ask you that because you provided a safe enough space for them to feel curious and to ask for that feedback and for you to say, no, of course you're good enough, right? Mm. Whereas children who are denied an experience or um, a container with their parents that makes them feel safe um, means that they, they can't ask. And if you can't ask, then you don't know, which means you decide and you make up the story and the narrative and the answer yourself, which is where a child would internalize that belief. And instead of asking 
is this truth because I feel this. It's just like this happened. It must be because of me. Mm, and I think adults even make that as a common mistake in relationships with our, with, our other, with our other half, not asking the question and forming a story or belief in our mind. And instead of asking because we don't either want the answer or we're too scared what the answer might be, instead we're creating this own version in our mindset mm. and then we're deciding what they, they've told us, which they haven't told us the answer. So then we're yeah. setting our relationship up, ship up to fail, yeah. rather than just being honest and being vulnerable and saying, hey, why did you do this? Or this made me yes. feel, yeah. I, I love that. I am so, that's like huge work that I do with my clients is like, is, did that happen or was that your the story you're telling yourself happened? And I'll use a really funny, <laughs> again, really vulnerable raw share with you um, that came up for me in my relationship last week um, was that my partner was having a shower and why he was in, it was like first thing, it was like a Monday morning or something like that. He's in the shower. I'm thinking, you know what? I've got like hot red lingerie on. I'm going to like, just like, take off my PJs. I'm going to be lying here hot in my lingerie when he opens the shower door and I'm going to be like here ready to go thinking I'm like looking so hot, so sexy. He comes out of the shower and he's like cheekily like smacks my bum or whatever and then goes like walk out. I'm like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I got to get ready. As a woman, <laughs> immediately the story I'm telling myself is, oh my God, he doesn't find me sexy anymore. I'm not good enough. He just came out of the shower to me, like basically screaming, like, let's have sex on my forehead. Yeah. And he's not down. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I easily could have been like, why, why don't you want to have blah, blah, or, you know, project on him. But I didn't. I was like, whoa, okay, that's my, the story I'm telling myself right now is da, 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 da. He came back in the room. We had a conversation around like what just happened. And he was like, don't be upset with me. He was like, <laughs> I literally had to leave the room. He's like, after here, I'm actually going to have blood work done and they're, test- they're testing my testosterone levels and all my hormone levels and I can't impact my testosterone. And I was like, oh, <gasps> my God. Can you imagine the potential argument that could have come if my ego let me run that story and the shit I I could have given him silent treatment in which he would have just been like the heck I'm not going to tell her what's wrong now I'm not going to talk to her now and then it creates separation um but by being able to catch the story not project onto my partner it created again a safe relationship for him to be like this is actually what's coming up whereas if I just silent treated him a guy's going to be like well, I'm not even wasting my breath. I can't be bothered dealing with that shitty mood, right? And then you never know what actually happened. And then that feeds into the narrative and you continually to act in alignment with that. So a little bit of a funny share, but it happens all the time. As adults, we do it all the time. If we don't ask, we internalize and create. we create the story. Our, your brain is designed for absolutes. Yes, no, I am, I am not dangerous, safe. And if you don't know the outcome, your brain will decide it for you. And until you have a conversation and you're introduced to something otherwise, that's your truth and that becomes your reality. So it's really important to catch yourself in what feels true versus what actually is true because they're two very different things. Yeah, totally. I love that. That's awesome. Now, being that you are a personal trainer, you did just touch on ego and I would love to know 
you know, you probably do have a lot of clients coming to you with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, a bit of ego. Um, We know that that's quite a common thing in the fitness industry. How do you go about approaching those clients and how do you heal that, that inner ego, I suppose, with them? Um, So this is a bit of a hard question to answer. So firstly, I actually don't work on the gym floor at all anymore. So I don't do any personal training. I only work in the online space. And the second thing is, is like, I have done so much of my own work and cleaned up my energy that I really don't attract clients like that anymore. Um, but in that, I would say a lot of my clients don't have a lot of ego, but their ego can show up in certain situations, especially being challenged on something. So um, something I always like to do is get um, permission from clients to challenge them on something. So for example, if they're telling me something and I can see a potential pattern that's shaping out, I will ask them, do you mind if I reflect something back to you right now? And they'll usually smirk because they know what's about to come and they'll be like, yes, that's fine. And then I'll be like, do you think that, 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 or do you think this? And they'll usually be like, oh shit. Yeah. And sometimes their ego can be so strong that they're like, no, it's not that. Um, so I think, um, with the ego, it's really important to, it gets very demonized. I think it's really important to remember that the human body is so incredibly perfectly designed. Like if you look at everything that has to happen to keep us functioning alive, like down to the tiny little details of the processes of your blood moving around the body, how reflexes work, your lungs expand, how birth, like what has to happen to like create human life. Like our bodies are so incredibly perfect. Ego your body's not broken, right? It didn't just something went wrong and, you know, a little mistake got made in human error. It's perfectly designed. And the ego is the part of you that gives you a sense of self. If you didn't have an ego and you had no sense of self, it would be really easy to just like feel completely lost in how you fit into the world. So I think that knowing that your ego is in charge of sense of self, but the ego is going to do anything it can to preserve that sense of self. So if you get challenged on anything which fits in your little box of this is who I am, your ego is going to put up all the walls possible to reflect or reject that statement to be able to maintain, no, this is who I am. So for example, say you're someone who you have tendencies to be a little bit controlling or bossy, but you don't identify as that. You wouldn't even say that you're a bossy person. And someone says to you, you're being a bit controlling. Your ego, that doesn't align with my sense of self or I don't want it to align with my sense of self. I'm not controlling, right? It's like an immediate rejection. So with the ego work, the main piece, and honestly, it's really boring, but it's the biggest piece is just self-awareness. Just literally having the skill to catch it and be like, is this ego or is this in alignment with a more loving version of myself. Um, And a question I sometimes encourage my clients to ask is, how would I feel if I had no ego? And sometimes nothing will change in which it goes beyond the ego and it might actually meet a core human need or a core value of yours. But if you ask yourself the question, how would I feel if I had no ego? And it shifts to, oh, well, I wouldn't actually care to be right or Um, I wouldn't be afraid to be wrong or I wouldn't actually care that I made fun of myself. 
then you know that it was just ego protection and you can just forgive yourself for showing up in that. Thank your ego for trying to protect you. Um, forgive yourself for how you showed up and then choosing to, to lean into a different belief instead. Yeah, I've had this come up a few times in the last probably 12 months where I've felt attacked in terms of somebody or anybody making a comment and if it's anything to do with my my parenting or you know my podcast or um things like that that pop up and I feel that you know I get defensive and my ego comes out and my ego's like no I have to I have to tell you why you're wrong and I'm right and I've become super self-aware in that regard and I'm now at a point where if I feel that emotion or like if I feel like someone's comment is condescending or degrading in any way I simply don't engage and I can just put up the walls of defense in and not allow my ego, my head's going, no, you need to write this or send this back or do this, take action. But my heart's like, no, conserve your energy. This is not going to align with you. This will not benefit your future self. Just put your hands in the air and say, if this doesn't serve me in a positive way, then it's not constructive and move on. And I think that that has been probably the biggest lesson or I guess, learning for me in the last 12 months because removing your ego from these really minor situations that have the opportunity to become bombs in your life Mm. you just remove your ego and you won't have these bombs going off all the time you can just really be quite calm and content in your everyday yeah and I love what you said about like something little becoming like a big thing as well because sometimes we can think oh it's just this little thing but that little thing is going to be that you're going to have 10 little things. And then eventually those 10 little things, that becomes the theme of your life. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not just one little thing. It's how you're choosing to show up in each and every moment. And I've had, I had that happen to me last week as well, where someone challenged me on something, which I had to check in with of like, well, is this ego or is this person actually challenged me, challenging me on something and it's actually not mine? That's not my, so I'm always forever checking, is my energy clean? Am I not wanting to look at this? And am I like rejecting someone reflecting something back to me that may actually have some some validity to it? Or am I um, actually just really sound in, sound in my knowing of who I am versus who this person thinks I am? Um, and when you have that part of you that wants to tell the stories and um, justify it and make sense of it, so long as you're doing that, you're giving the other person control over who you actually are because you're saying that I need you to know that I'm this person because if you don't know that, that I'm this person, then I'm not that, right? Whereas when you release that power and your ego actually doesn't need that sense of validation from anyone outside of you, it says, well, I don't need you to know that I'm this person because I know I'm this person. So it's really about taking back a lot of your power in that as well. A hundred percent. Gosh, I totally resonate with that so much as well. Like, I think it's just so healing for anyone on their spirituality journey or any therapy that anyone's in right now to be so hyper aware of the energy that you're putting out is the energy that you're going to bring in. And if you're putting out negativity or if you're engaging in toxic behaviors, even gossip, something that I am someone that has gossiped my entire life it's a it's Mm. a natural trait for anyone myself and anyone that I know to you automatically talk about other people behind their backs and I don't mean in like a negative way or just speaking about somebody else's life and making a judgment on someone else's life or Mm. 
speaking about what they're doing is gossip and noticing when I'm doing that and how that makes me feel and in turn how that makes the person I'm discussing that with feel as well and the conversation that I suppose um, evolves from there is never positive. So noticing things as small as gossip in your life to remove that negative energy as well and that can enable a more positive life. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because gossip is like another one where it's almost like an instant sense of um, satisfaction, but at the cost of long-term gratification. So what I mean by that is it's very instilled in us to gossip because we've trained ourselves to feel that gossiping um, facilitates connection. So we feel like the person that we're speaking to when we gossip, we're getting closer. We've got this intimate thing that we're sharing together and, oh, you know, don't tell anyone, but X, Y, Z. And we feel like we're having this intimate thing. And this person's going to trust me now because I'm telling them secret advice. Even as you said, if it's not even super bitchy or whatever, but it's just like, you're telling information that's not yours to tell. Um, what happens is there is an instant sense of connection and that person might even, not always, but they might even ride that high with you of feeling like, oh, this is so juicy. Yeah, tell me more. And they're feeling connected. But they're going to walk home and not even consciously, they're not going to consciously think about it. Their subconscious mind is going to be saying that person's not actually trustworthy because they tell information that's not actually theirs to share. And yeah. so what happens if I tell them information that's not mine to share? So it's just a really beautiful thing to get curious about. And something like you can even look up is um, Brene Brown's Seven Pillars of Trust. Um, and one of those pillars is actually called Vault. And it's just the idea that one of the things that facilitates trust is never sharing information that's not yours to share. So it doesn't have to be bitchy or nasty or judgmental. It's just like, hey, this person told me this thing in confidence. It's not mine to tell you now as well. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I'll de- I might actually uh, put that in the show notes of the episode. I just lost mm. my words there. Um, just because I think that would be a really important um, something to look back on. So, yeah, yeah, I love that. Now, just touching on one last thing before I go, because I know that we're going to get to the hour point. Um, but I would love to know in your coaching and your programming, how do you integrate nutrition into that? And what are some of your beliefs surrounding nutrition mindset? Yeah. So um, with mindset clients, we don't really dive into nutrition at all, but with, um, I do run a program called Nourish Your 90 and Nourish Your 90 is a three month kind of holistic program. We touch on mindset, but it is more focused on nutrition um, and fitness. So when it comes into the um, nutrition space, it's very much dependent on the person. So For one client, it might be a matter of they have no education around food. They don't know what a carbohydrate is. They don't know how many um, calories their body requires to like function well, to have enough energy, but to not be, you know, over consuming. Um, So something like that is like tracking macros is fantastic just to get those building blocks. Another client has tracked in the past and become so obsessed with it. And now they're scared to, they won't even eat if their partner's mom's cooking them dinner and they can't wait. right so it's pulling them into intuitive eating or starting to release the reins so one client might be like obsessed with tracking we start them out on tracking and a step forward for them is hey I want you to just track calories instead of your macros like I want you to just get comfortable with not knowing what every macro is individual and just looking at the calories and then another client might be like let's track three days a week intuitively eat the other four one client's fully intuitive so it's really dependent on where the person is at and 
when it comes to the psychology of their relationship with food. Are they someone lacking education? Are they someone overly obsessed? Are they someone who's binge eating um, and is fearing certain food groups? So for one client, my advice would be like, eat the damn pizza, have the damn ice cream. And for another client, it's like encouraging them to eat more whole foods and to like start optimizing their body and their performance. So what's right for one client is like completely wrong for another. So it really is about working out where each client is at. So it's actually really hard as a selling point to be like, hey, you get this because it's like you get a custom nutrition strategy because it's not, I can't tell you that you'll track. I can't tell you that you'll intuitively eat, that you'll get this, that you'll get that because I don't know until I know you and where you're at. So it is just about assessing each individual um, and then giving them nutrition advice based on what's going to help them progress, not hinder their progress. I love that. A couple of years ago, I was being coached by someone who would literally write out like a diet program or whatever it was. She'd call it her customized ones, but it literally would be sent with someone else's name on it. And it was like, this is not for me. (laughs) And so like, it's just so refreshing to know that there are so many personal trainers or previous personal trainers that are now doing this online work and, and this mindset surrounding health and well-being from a holistic approach. And it's not just a one approach is for everyone. And I love that there are, it's, it's almost being flooded now. And I imagine that there's so many women that are just thriving because of women like you in this space. So it's really, really refreshing to talk to someone with your wisdom and knowledge and have all this information. It's been really nice. Thank you so much. That's beautiful words. I really appreciate it. No, I've had such a good time talking to you. I feel like I could probably talk to you for the next two hours, but I won't. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll let you go. But thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jesse. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.